This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. For more downloads, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Well, a very good afternoon to you all, everyone. Thank you for coming. It's incredible, really, how this seemingly small subject can provide so much information on the glorious character of the Lord Jesus Christ. And whoever picked this subject, I, I must start off by saying thank you, because I would never, ever have picked this as a, a, a title for a Bible talk. And uh, it's, it's given me a lot of uh, uh, challenges uh, to find something interesting for you, hopefully this afternoon. And uh, it, it certainly um, made me approach my talk in a slightly different way. Um, those who want to be true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ strive to know their master intimately. And in so doing will become strengthened in their struggle towards the perfection of character which was revealed in the, the life of the Lord God's Son when he walked among men. Now critics of the Bible have accused the four gospel writers of inconsistencies and inaccuracies. And this charge has been laid repeatedly that the four gospels do not harmonise with each other. I'm afraid they're wrong. The truth is that the, the four divinely inspired gospel writers are in absolutely perfect harmony upon the subject of Christ's life and works. And that they are, they are diverse from one another in only the fact that each gospel draws out a different aspect of Christ's ministry. Just to give you uh, the, a, a quick run through the, the, the four different gospels. Matthew describes the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The great King, the heir to David's throne and the kingdom of Israel. Mark reveals Jesus in a different way, as the suffering servant of God. Luke wrote of Christ as the, the perfect man, in that he was a reflection of his father's character. And John presents him as the son of God, revealing with beautiful and intimate insight the godly characteristics that were set before the nation of Israel in the person of God's only begotten son. And John's Gospel permits us to follow step by step eight miracles, eight signs by which the Son of God is set before his people. And he sets out the purpose of his mission, revealing how they uh, could become reconciled to God. Now according to my dictionary, a miracle is defined as an, an, an exhibition of, of godly power to accomplish a specific purpose. In John's Gospel, a very particular Greek word has been used in relation to the signs, to the, the, the miracles which are there. The Greek word is semion, and it, it's very significant, and you might have noticed that I've been using the word signs. Well, the word is used 77 times in the New Testament. And in 51 of these occasions within the New Testament, it has been uh, perhaps more correctly rendered as a sign or signs rather than miracle. But of the 17 times that it's used in John's Gospel, 
Twice it is translated as sign, and the other 15 as miracle. Bit of a discrepancy there in the, the way the translators have gone about it. The word literally means sign, mark, or token. And when it's applied to the, the miracles, of which there are eight in John's Gospels, uh, John's Gospel, it, it represents something more than a miracle. It is a miracle which acts as a signpost to point the way to something. It's very specific. And these signs and miracles were brought about by the Lord Jesus. He was, although the Son of God, a human being. And his primary objective was to glorify God. Christ was flesh as, as you and me. Yet, as his disciples observed him labouring in the service of his Father, they witnessed something which had never been demonstrated upon earth before. They witnessed a descendant of Adam in whom the purpose of God became the totally dominant influence. He lived his life bearing the nature of man in that he was capable of sin, yet permitting his mind and his body to be ruled over by the will and word of God. And thus he was faultless before the Lord God. Christ's life and works were true and per, uh, were a true and perfect example of the word and will of God. So ruling over sin's flesh as to bring him both mentally and morally into complete uh, and total submission to the will of God. The only person in human history to do this. And thus Christ glorified God. Or he manifested God's glory in all that he did. And in all that he said. And Jesus was the son of God. And that claim had to be endorsed. With appropriate displays of miraculous power. And through this power. The father who had sent his son into the world. Bore witness of him. To paraphrase John chapter 5 and verse 37. There was a definite order. And arrangement in the way the Lord performed these miracles which were to be understood also as signs, as pointers. And this fact may be established from the reading that we took. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 2 and verse 11. Because it states very carefully, this beginning of miracles or, or signs did Jesus in Cana of Galilee. And manifested or, or showed forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. This beginning or, or, or first sign should be compared with the, the, the meticulous wording again of, of John chapter 4 and verse 54. Just turn there quickly if you would. John 4 and verse 54. This is again the second miracle or sign that Jesus did. When he was come out of Judea into Galilee. In a consideration of John chapter 2 and, and the first 11 verses. We begin to follow a set pattern. Each sign conveying to us a, a particular aspect of Christ's ministry and God's purpose. And these, this series of, of eight signs was intended, intended to convey a, a special meaning to the people of Israel at the time of Christ. But they were also intended to impart a deeper and a more profound message to those who have 
received Jesus of Nazareth as the Son of God and as the King of Israel. So let's look at this first sign, John chapter 2 and verses 1 to 11. We read it, didn't we? Let's just think a little bit about this though. It's all about marriage, isn't it? It's all about marriage. And we learn from the Genesis account of the first week of creation that God established and ordained the first marriage between a man and a woman. Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. It was God's expression of utmost blessing for mankind. It was a joyful event till they sinned. And they incurred a serious breach with God. Now, in Eastern cultures, and, and specifically among the, the Jewish nation, a wedding was considered a very blessed and, and social event, where families, friends, distant relatives and neighbours were, were all invited. It lasted for seven days. In John chapter 2, at Cana, the wedding feast was into the third day, when the wine ran out. And so you can imagine the gravity of the situation that they found themselves in. It was a serious breach of hospitality. Uh, it, it would have been so embarrassing, wouldn't it, for the bridegroom, for the bride, for the family. And it's not without significance that during the first week of Jesus' ministry, he performs his first miracle at a wedding. And that John begins his gospel with the words, just flick back to chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, well, it's an obvious throwback, isn't it, to Genesis. It's, it's recounting similar words read in the Genesis account. And, and John wants us to see the coming of Jesus as a new creation. The light shining in a dark place. And that in this new creation, a, a new people of God is to be born by faith in Christ. And I, I don't think that it's not without significance that the couple are not named. I think there's a reason for that. I think it's because they represent the bride of Christ. What John is really doing is presenting the Lord Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus describes himself as a bridegroom, doesn't he, in John chapter 3 and verse 29. Jesus describes himself as a provider of the new and better wine at the wedding feast of the new and better covenant. John chapter 2 and verse 10. <coughs> Hebrews 8. By this first miracle, Jesus presented a powerful testimony of himself in revealing his transforming power to all who would come to him. And so why have we got this first of the miracles then recorded in John? Well it's to show that Israel was spiritually bereft. And that only the Son of God, its Messiah, can supply the spiritual needs and restore it to the Lord God. And it's there to show that if we drink of the wine of his doctrine... And become fully covered with the blood of his sacrifice. We too can find joy in his service. A joy to be fully realised at the glorious marriage supper of the Lamb. Let's move on to his second miracle. John chapter 4. And we'll, we'll flick through the next few uh, rather more quickly than that one. John chapter 4 and verse 46. 
Let's just read it. John chapter 4 and verse 46 through to 50. And this is what's called the healing of the ruler's son. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The noble man saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. So why is this in the Gospel of John? Well, it's there to show that Israel's Messiah can raise the nation to national and to spiritual life. It's there to to demonstrate that it is possible to receive the power of a new life only through the Son of God. Move on to chapter 5. Verses 1 to 16, we find there the third sign, the third miracle. And it's the, the impotent man who's made to walk. There, is a, there was a man who, who had been ill for 38 years. The Jews believed that when the waters of the pool of Bethesda stirred, it was caused by an angel. And that the first person into the water would be healed of their illness. Well, no one would help this man. And so he was effectively stranded by the pool of Bethesda. Look at verse 7. The impotent man answered him, that's the Lord Jesus, Sir, I have no man, when the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. So he's being beaten every single time, wasn't he? Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was a Sabbath. Now, you would have thought, wouldn't you, that the people around would have been amazed that the, people had, that the man had been cured, that he'd been healed. But look at what they picked up on in verse 10. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is a Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. What an absurd thing to say. How ridiculous. And that is the point of this sign. It's to show that the the Messiah of Israel is superior to the, the old concept of the law. And that only through the power of the influence of the Lord Jesus can the nation be cured of its national and of its spiritual impotence. It's there to demonstrate that, that Christ can strengthen those who recognise their helplessness, that obey his voice. Move on to chapter 6, and we're on to the fourth of the, the miracles within the Gospel of John. Uh, and this is probably a, the, the best known of all of his miracles, of the Lord Jesus' miracles. It's the feeding of the 5,000. It's, it's the only miracle um, which is in all, all four of the Gospels. Uh, So we won't spend too long on there. We'll we'll just pick out a couple of points. Let's jump in at verse 6. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, it's interesting because we know that Philip 
was from that local area. And so we can assume that out of all the disciples, he would have known where to go to buy bread. Verse 7. And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. So Jesus already knew what was going to happen. But he was just checking, see what the disciples thought. Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. Well, we know from looking at other scriptural passages that roughly the rate of pay for one day was, was one penny. That's the equivalent of one day's work. To feed these people would have cost 200 days labour. That's two-thirds of a year, roughly, isn't it, of a working year. That's a lot of work just to pay for some bread. That's a lot of people to feed, isn't it? Verse 8. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to, di distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. And those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This of it is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world. Bread was regarded by the, the, the Jews as a, a gift of God. And it was required that scraps that fell on the ground during a meal should be picked up. The fragments were collected in small wicker baskets uh, that were small enough to carry around on your, on your clothing. I think they attached them to their belts. Each of the disciples returned with the basket full, their basket. What can we learn from this? Well, firstly, that only Israel's Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, can provide the nation with the spiritual food which will enable the Lord God to redeem it. And then if we continue to partake of the spiritual food which the Lord Jesus has provided, he will sustain us to life eternal. The fifth sign, Christ calming the sea, is directly after the feeding of the 5,000. And it's therefore related to it. The people saw what Jesus had done in feeding them and they wanted to make him a king. It's understandable, isn't it? They've been there, they've been fed from a, a miraculous um, situation. They want to make him a king. Look at John chapter 6 and verse 16. And when even was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea towards Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed out about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship. And they were afraid. But he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. And they willingly received him into the ship. And immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Well this signpost is here in the Gospel of John. 
to show us that the Lord God has the power to redeem Israel. And that all laws, including natural laws, the laws of physics and so on and so forth, are subject to his will. It's there to demonstrate that the Lord God, through Christ, will care for such, bringing them consolation and comfort in the storms of life. Move on to John chapter 9 for the sixth of the miracles. John chapter 9 and verses 1 through to 7. John 9 verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me, while it is day. The night cometh, when no man can work. As long as I am of the uh, sorry, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is in, by interpretation sent. He went his way thereof and washed and came seeing. That sign is there to show that sound spiritual vision is more important than physical sight. Only Israel's Messiah has been granted the power to enable the nation to recognize the truth in him and to heal its present blindness. It's there to show that Christ will graciously open the eyes of those who wish to follow him to the full vision of truth. Move on to John chapter 11. We find there another sign, the, the seventh of the signs. Um, this is regarding raising the dead. It, it covers pretty well the whole of chapter 11 so we're just going to pick out a few points from it John chapter 11 we find there a friend of Jesus called Lazarus and his two sisters Mary and Martha and they were in Judea they were, they were from Bethany which is just on the outskirts of, uh, of, of Jerusalem but they, they were over in Judea at this point in time verse 3 therefore his sisters sent unto him that's the Lord Jesus saying Lord behold he whom thou lovest is sick now Jesus did two things in response to this. Look at verse 4. When Jesus heard that he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So he's saying that the sickness is for a reason. So that the, the Son of God might be glorified. And then the second thing he does is in verse 6. Well, rather than rushing to the scene, which is perhaps what we would normally expect to happen, in verse 6, he stays where he is for two days. Why? Verse 14. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad, for your sakes, that I was not there, to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. If Jesus had rushed, they may not have believed that Lazarus was dead. And by the time Jesus arrived, Lazarus had been dead for four days. He was in a tomb. 
Martha states in verse 21. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. And look at the confident response of Jesus in verse 23. Thy brother shall rise again. Martha thinks Jesus is talking about the future resurrection. Well, she'd have been right, wouldn't she? But in this case, he wasn't talking about the future resurrection. Verse 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Move on to verse 39. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. If he had been dead, sorry, for he had been dead four days, Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that thou may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Well, that shows, doesn't it, that only by the Lord God's power, manifested through his Son, that the nation can be raised to a newness of life. And it shows us, doesn't it, that Christ will raise from the dead and will grant eternal life to all who walk faithfully in the way of the truth. And then we go on to the last of the signs, the eighth one, the great harvest of fish. And it's there in John chapter 21, and it's the first 14 verses. And we're just going to read four verses from this. Uh, look at verse 3 of John chapter 21. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast a net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and they were not, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. And this final one, this eighth sign, this eighth miracle, was there to show that Israel's Messiah alone is able to unite them in harmony with their God, affecting a national and a spiritual revival after his second coming. It demonstrates that every faithful disciple will be gathered into Christ's kingdom to receive divine nature as a reward for their faithfulness and to see the increase of their labours in the age to come. Now, John's directed uh, attention to the reason for the inclusion of the eight signs in his gospel account of the Lord's ministry. 
And from the many miracles the Lord had performed, John, under divine inspiration, had chosen to record these particular signs, that special conclusions might be deduced from them. And his explicit reference, go back to chapter 20 and verse 30. Um, he makes an explicit reference to this matter that is too obvious to be missed. John chapter 20 and verse 30. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. And he then emphasizes the reason why these eight miraculous signs, in particular, had been chosen for inclusion in John's Gospel. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The signs were specifically chosen to help us and the people of Israel to come to a better understanding of the Lord Jesus and his Father. And ultimately, the total abolition of, of nature, wanting to sin, will not become a reality until the end of the 1,000 year reign of Christ over the nations. With the second resurrection and the final judgment, and then the eighth day will dawn, bringing to fruition the Lord God's purpose with the earth. And at that point, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord God, to quote Revelation 21 and verse 1. So, summarising the, the eight signs that we have seen, it was seen that they reveal the development of the Lord God's work, which he purposed to achieve through his Son. From the beginning of Christ's work, in, in setting before men the, the wine of sound, life-giving doctrine, to the Ingathering of all the redeemed into the kingdom at the commencement of the 1,000 year kingdom and beyond to the ushering in of the final age of the complete perfection at the dawning of the kingdom. The Apostle Paul described the conclusive fulfilment of the divine purpose. Just um, let me quote to you please from 1 Corinthians 15 verse 25. Then cometh the end when he, Christ, shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet, that God may be all in all. So, when the meanings of the eight signs are considered in the order in which they have been set forth in the, the gospel, they may illuminate the minds of men and women more fully, so they might believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. Thus for Israel nationally, the, the eight signs were designed to convey this message as they were the people whom the Lord God had specifically, uh, sorry, specially chosen and separated to become his light bearers among the nations. They were now revealed as being spiritually bereft. Only the Son of God could supply their spiritual needs and, and restore them to the Lord God. Only Christ could raise them to national and spiritual life. They were to acknowledge that their Messiah and Saviour was superior to their own concept of the law. And that only by recognising the power of his influence upon them 
could they be cured of their national and spiritual impotence. Only he could provide them with the spirit, that spiritual food, with the, the word of God, which would enable um, the Lord God to redeem them. And they were to understand that the Lord God, through his son, had the power to redeem them. In view of the fact that his capacity in that regard made all other forces subject to his will and authority. Sound spiritual vision is more important than physical sight. And Christ could open their eyes to the truth. So that they might spiritually see the way which would lead them to the kingdom of God. Both individually and nationally. They could find newness of life if they would accept the words which the Son of God preached to them. To enable him to unite them in harmony with their Lord God. He would effect a national and spiritual resurrection of Israel after his second coming. For those who wished to be part of spiritual Israel. Those who had already accepted and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. The message of the signs was designed to confirm and to strengthen their faith. And to guide them towards the kingdom. Having drunk the wine of his doctrine, they have become covered by the blood of his sacrifice and they should begin their journey towards the kingdom, taking joy in serving their new master. The power of such a new way of life can be obtained only through the Son of God and he can strengthen those who recognise their helplessness and obey his voice if they continue to partake of the spiritual food which he has provided his word will sustain them unto life eternal God will continue to care for them comforting and consoling them amidst the storms of life and will provide the means whereby their eyes might be continually open to the rich fullness of the divine truth if they remain faithful Christ will raise them from the dead thus all faithful disciples may rest in the assurance that they will be gathered into the kingdom and God's blessing will be upon their labours during their period of probation and throughout the kingdom age. Is it any wonder then that John's gospel records many of the wonderful words of comfort and encouragement which the Lord addressed to his disciples during the days of his walk upon the earth? John chapter 14 verse 27 tells us, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And the words of John 16 and verse 33. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, information about what we believe, and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. Music